the top racers on their race specific hydrofoil boards and race kites are doing 40 knots now which is almost it's about that's actually 50 miles an hour um, which is way faster than i want to go episode 289 long distance kite surfing with bowen dwelly this episode is sponsored by Health IQ. If you're exercising regularly, don't you think you deserve a special rate on life insurance? Find out how much you can save by taking the health quiz for your adventure sport at healthiq.com adventure. A few minutes on their site could save you a bunch on your life insurance. Get rewarded for all your hard work at healthiq.com adventure. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi friends, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. I have a really fun one for you today. We have not covered this sport much on the Adventure Sports Podcast yet. We did one show on this, boy, almost two years ago. And so I'm excited to hit it today because it's so fresh. Today we're talking about kite surfing, and uh, we're talking about kite surfing with someone who has quite a lot of experience and even taking kite surfing to new levels. I'm excited to hear his stories and all about the sport. Bowen Dwelly, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Great to be here. Man, it's our pleasure. Um, I have long enjoyed watching this sport and i've never done it but every time i'm at the coast or even on youtube or something i see people doing this kite surfing and i'm just blown away so many interesting dynamics involved in this skill set and in this adventure sport so this is going to be a lot of fun today but before we dive into the specifics i really want to get the backstory so who is bowen dwelly yeah thanks kurt well uh Someday means never, right? So get out there and try it. Uh, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll clue you in a little bit and uh, and uh, encourage you to do that. Um, I grew up right here in San Francisco. I was born and raised. I'm a San Francisco native, um, and I have lived other places, but I uh, spent most of my life living right here in and around the city of San Francisco. San Francisco. So that would be a fairly easy place, I would think, to become a, a kite surfer. San Francisco is definitely a world-class sailing venue. It, you know, it's just the city by the bay, and we have wind, uh, you know, one way or another pretty much all year. Um, and we have a very reliable, strong sailing season from, you know, March deep into September, um, and then again with <clears throat> storms on and off through the winter and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's definitely a, a sailor's city and I grew up sailing here and that was, you know, one of the, the, uh, the threads that, that eventually led me to kite surfing. Well, before we dive too deeply into this, um, we should probably just define what kite surfing is for people who don't know. So take us there. Tell us what kite surfing is all about. Yeah, sure. Um, kite surfing is, um, <laughs> it does take a little bit of describing, you know, it, 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 most people are familiar with sailing, right? And that's where I usually start. Um, it, it is, I think from a physics point of view and from a sport point of view, a form of sailing. 
Um, it's just that the sail, you know, unlike a sailboat where the sail is attached to a mast, uh, a vertical spar, you know, which is sticking up out of the boat. Um, or in the case of a windsurfer, you know, a windsurfer is a direct evolution of a sailboat. You still have a mast, right, uh, that sticks up off the board that's attached to the board. With a kite uh, or kite surfing or kiteboarding, you know, the sail is is a kite. It's up in the air. It's, it doesn't require any fixed spars uh, to suspend or, or, or maintain the shape of the kite. And it, uh, so there, which, which results in a number of differences. Uh, the whole rig is lighter and smaller, um, and you can move the sail in three dimensions, right? Because just like you can fly, you know, a kite around the sky, well, that's that's what we can do too. We can fly that kite all over the place and use it to um, to generate apparent wind. We can use it to kind of grab, you know, gusts and puffs of wind, or or get wind uh, that is uh, a little bit higher up in the air. Like uh, often, there's a um, uh, a wind gradient that results in uh, the wind right at the surface of the water being weaker. So it's often the case that we can get around where other forms of uh, sailing craft cannot. Right. So kite, kite surfing is, is one way or another. It's some type of a board um, with a kite as the uh, propulsion. And the, the kite is uh, tethered to us, to the rider, with a harness that's very similar to a windsurfing harness. So there's a, there's a harness and a hook at your waist and the the force of the kite the pull of the kite is transmitted through that harness very good description you know the first time i saw this it reminded me of something out of a children's story right where some kid goes up on the hill <laughs> with a kite and, and the wind carries him away and he has some amazing adventure and i thought who dreamed this up the imagination yeah. it takes to figure this out and to figure out how to make it work but it does work. It's amazing how well it works. Do you know about the history of it? Yeah, a bit. And, you know, it's it, it's great that you use the word magic. It, it is a really magical feeling. Um, of course, many sports are sort of magical, but um, people who surf, any form of surfing, right, where people, if anyone who does any form of surfing is familiar with that, that gliding feeling, right? The feeling of gliding across the water, which is a very magical feeling. And with kite surfing, we have that, the gliding across the water feeling combined with the magical feeling of being pulled along by a sail, essentially, right? And even more magical is that the sail is a kite up in the sky, right? <laughs> and it doesn't weigh anything and, and you can fly it all over the place. Um, so it, it is really magical. Um, who came up with it? Well, the, the, what popped into my head is the French, right? The French have a long tradition of sailing and of innovating in sailing and of, and of um, inventing exotic forms of sailing and other sports. And I'm not an expert on the history of kite surfing, but there was kind of a parallel evolution where I think it was a couple of French brothers, the Ligandu brothers, and then also some Americans uh, or American were 
coming, we're having similar ideas at you know similar times, and um, uh, started, um, and, and they were all windsurfers and sailors and surfers and that sort of thing. And so in the late '80s, early '90s, mid '90s, there was a sort of a proto sport uh, of kiteboarding, and of course the equipment um, gradually evolved and then evolved more and more quickly and. Really, in the I didn't take it up until the mid 2000s, until 10 or 12 years ago, um, right after a time when there had been a real leap in the evolution of the the sophistication uh, and the um, also the safety of the equipment, mm-hmm. um, which was a, a real key progression. And oh, so yeah. now the gear is amazing; it, it works fantastically well, and um, and, and it's, you know, the gears also tend to be, it's, you know, it's reliable, it's predictable, it's, it's uh, you know, it's quite safe to use. Well, I know it just looks amazing to see. And I think part of it that amazes me about it is that you're working in this fluid environment with two different types of fluids. You've got the liquid ocean mm-hmm. or fresh water, as the case may be, right? Um, but then you also have this air, this wind that you can't see that compresses and changes its speed and its angle and its velocity and essentially it's invisible, right? So you've got these two fluids that sometimes are working with each other, sometimes against each other. And as the kite surfer, you have to read everything. You have to read the water. You have to read the wind. And you have to read your kite and how to get those things all organized to do what you want to do. And I think that's the dynamic of it that blows my mind. There's just so much going on. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting that you hit upon that, a very a perceptive of you. It it is a complicated sport uh, because of those four, the, of those four elements that are involved. That is the, the you know the water and the air, and then the pieces of equipment that go with those. So the the board and the water and the kite in the air, and so you have four things at least to manage. Whereas with let's say surfing, you know you you have the board and the water. Right. Now the the, the strange thing is is that surfing is harder like as a to get really good as a surfer and even to just to to have any fun as a surfer i i think it's harder um because you're you know you have to balance on the board it's it's just much more finesse you have to paddle of course with your you know your 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 arms and your shoulders if you've ever done any surfing you know how painful that is if you don't do it regularly um so surfing is like difficult but simple. Like kite surfing is easier but more complicated. Right. Physically just, easier just is a, what you're saying. Yeah, and and kind of easier to have fun doing it. It's complicated. It takes a you know, you have to take some commitment, some time to learn. But once you get over that initial learning curve and you're up and riding, you you have this wave of euphoria, right? Because you you feel that magic and you're getting pulled along. And from that point on, you know, you're not struggling as much. You're, you're progressing very quickly and you, you have the feeling of, you know, doing it, right? Whereas something like surfing, I mean, you could go for years and still only, you know, catch a wave once in a while. At least that's like, that's my experience. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there's something to that, though, because when you're surfing, you just use the term catch a wave. That's that's the goal. That's the challenge. You have to have the right wave. You have to be in the right place to get on it, and you have to know how to make it go, right, to take advantage of of that. And so when you have some other kind of propulsion that helps you out a little bit, in this case, it's the kite in the wind, right? 
it allows you then to, to kind of manipulate everything a little bit more. Yeah, and it opens up many more options and possibilities in terms of what you can do with the sport and, and, and as an athlete, right? You can, um, you, you're not, not to draw too many comparisons between, you know, with surfing, but, you know, with, with kite surfing, you can, you can go ride flat water. You can go, you can ride waves, you can race, you can ride long distances, you can do crossings, you can, you can do all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, so you, you need wind, um, but wind is, uh, more, um, there's more wind around than there are good waves. That's for sure. <laughs> for one thing. Okay. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. I think you're probably right about that for sure. But you know, everyone talks about trying to find the perfect wave, but the wind, anytime I go to the coast, there's wind. It just seems like that's there. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's, you know, one way or another, there, there are a lot of places with wind that may or may not have good waves. You know, good waves tend to be, are dependent on swell, uh, which is just not a constant thing. Um, and so, again, they're, you know, having, using the wind as a tool opens up all these other possibilities uh, for us as, as kite surfers. Yeah. Well, you mentioned before the show that the, the sport itself has changed a bit that what's state of the art today is, is really advanced compared to how it started out. Can you illustrate that for us a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, well, sports go through, um, different stages of progression and evolution. Uh, all sports do both in terms of equipment and technique. Um, and with kite surfing, um, let's see, you know, if we think back, Well, I think that the most prevalent image that, that, that most people would conjure up of kite surfing is freestyle. You know, someone doing tricks, um, doing all kinds of flips and rotations and spins and that sort of thing. Um, and that is, that does continue to be a popular discipline in the sport. Um, but perhaps, well, certainly not the only one and, and not the only major discipline in the sport. Um, wave riding uh, began to become much more popular, I'd say about 10 or so years ago. And that was partly due to improvements in equipment that made it um, just more possible. You know, the, the equipment became better suited to riding in waves. Um, and, also, it was just kind of a, you know, these things are also a bit of a fashion and trend sort of thing. So it just also t- took, wave riding took off a bit more at that time. Um, and so that's become a major discipline in the sport. Um, and um, there, so in addition to like a freestyle world tour, you know, there's a wa- wave kite surfing world tour and competitions all over the world in that discipline. Um, there's also, uh, racing, racing has emerged, um, also over the last 10 years, but more and more, so much more so over the last five years. Um, and by racing, I mean, course racing in the same, uh, way that sailboats that, that you do sailboat racing around the course. Um, and there's specialized, uh, racing equipment. Uh, boards and kites uh, for kite course racing. Um, and 
most recently, uh, just as sailboat racing has evolved, um, and if, of course, if you're familiar with what's been going on with the America's Cup over the past um, two uh, seasons in particular, all the AC, the America's Cup has gone to hydrofoils, mm-hmm. um, and that coincided with um, another wave of development in in hydrofoil um, board development. And so just about the same time, kite surf course racing went to hydrofoil boards as well. And that revolutionized the racing scene. It also led to the what now you're seeing in the last literally just two years is the explosion of people riding hydrofoil boards, not just for racing, but for free riding and recreationally. Um, Let's and, dive uh, into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. That's fascinating. So a hydrofoil in the right conditions is going to be far more efficient. But how how come? Why is that? I mean, what does a hydrofoil look like compared to the standard board, its predecessor? And how does it work yeah. dynamically differently? Yeah, it's really totally different from a physics point of view. Um so if you picture a, a board that we uh, that we might ride, just picture any surfboard, like a six foot long surfboard that you might paddle into a normal wave. And many of us kite surfers ride surfboards like that. Um, a board like that, you you know, as you're traveling over the surface of the water, the board is you know is planing on the surface of the water and. It's in a way, it's not doing all that much. I mean, you're you're, you know, you're pushing the board around. You're generating a little bit of lift with the fins, uh, that that you know, the, just like surfboard fins that push down, that you know, extend vertically down from the tail of the board. Right. Um, and you use those to steer around and that sort of thing. And you use the edge of the board to to help uh, generate kind of lateral resistance to go upwind, etc. Um, but you're, you're gliding over the surface of the water, um, and that generates, that creates a lot of friction in, you know, until you do something, until you get out of this, off the surface of the water. Um, and that's what a hydrofoil does. So a hydrofoil is, you, you, you can, you've, perhaps you've seen them in the America's cup. Um, those are like J foils or kind of L foils that extend down kind of a, like a J shape from the the, um, the hulls of the AC boats. Ours are more of in a T shape, so there's a central mast that extends down from the bottom of the board, and then there are horizontal wings, um, usually a, a larger front wing and a smaller back wing, and this is all fabricated from carbon fiber, so it's, in, it's quote very lightweight and and you know very uh, slim. Um, and, and efficient, hydrodynamically efficient. So that extends down from the bottom of the board about a meter. Um, and, and then you have the, the wings extending horizontally uh, from the bottom of the mast. And so with just a little bit of speed, you pop up off of the, off of the surface of the water because of the lift that the hydrofoil generates in the water as it moves through the water. Um, and the board, you and the board that you're standing on, it, you're like levitated out of the water entirely so that you're not, 
you're no longer skimming across the surface of the water. You're no longer touching the surface of the water at all. And the mast of the hydrofoil is extending down from the board, pierces the surface of the water, and the wings of the hydrofoil remain below the surface of the water. Um, it all sounds pretty complicated, but when you're, you know, you're doing it, it just kind of, it just works. It's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're flying. That's awesome. You're flying. You're flying. And, and that is, it, it works on the same principle as flight. Um, and getting back to, you know, how you brought up the two different um, fluids really that we're dealing with, right? Water is about 800 times as dense as air. And so, you know, just like you can, you know, a, a hang glider is big enough to suspend the weight of one person in the air. Well, a little hydrofoil that's only about, you know, a foot and a half wide or something is big enough to suspend the weight of a person uh, because it generates 800 times as much lift uh, because the, you know, the water is not much denser. So the feeling at the end of the day, right, once you figure out how to ride this thing, and there is sort of a very steep learning curve. I can to, imagine. Uh, yeah, to figure out how to uh, to ride the foil because it it's all just the dynamic, you know, balance of your body. Um, but once you get over that learning curve, you yeah, you're flying. You're flying over the surface of the water. You're not getting bashed and bumped around by whatever chop uh, is on the surface of the water. You're you're traveling much. You can travel much faster. And it's much more efficient, so you need less power from the kite, um, which means you can use smaller kites, and which means you can also kite uh, with the foil board in much less wind. So the, the the threshold of wind that's required before you can get out there and get going is much much lower. Wow, that um, is so cool. You know, I don't yeah. have a lot of context for this as far as the surfing part goes, but I know from skiing. What a difference it is mm -hmm. to be bumping along on the hard pack versus when you get enough powder that you start floating right. in the medium of the powder. And now you're not on the hard surface anymore. You're in a fluid environment again. You know, the soft champagne right. powder does that. And you, you literally are, are flying on a, a pillow of, of fluid. And so that, mm -hmm. that's the only context I have for what you're saying. But the difference between skiing that powder and skiing on the hard pack is huge so i can't imagine yeah. it's got to be that way for you on your hydrofoil board yeah and that's a that's a good comparison and it's it's a comparison that that others have made as well that feeling of when you're in you know two to three feet of deep light powder and you're just sailing through that right and making these smooth carves and floating turns right and your 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 board, your skis or your snowboard in that case, you know, aren't touching anything hard. You're just floating through this again, sort of semi-fluid powder, right. and that is a similar feeling uh, when you're up on the foil and, and riding, carving. Um, it's it's an incredible feeling. Yeah, so it's it's revolutionized. Like I said, first of all, racing because it's so much more efficient um, and and faster. But also for the recreational rider, um, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And again, it, ex it expands the, 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 um, 
the, 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 the possibilities. You can, you can kite in less wind. You can, um, you can go longer distances. Um, you can, it just creates more, yet again, more possibilities for, for us, uh, kite surfers. So the, that's, that's one of the latest, that's, that's the big innovation that's happening right now in the kite surfing world. And it's, yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, yeah. You're getting me excited just talking about it. I, I love the sound of this. Hey friends, Kurt here. You know, we might have the healthiest audience of any podcast on the planet. I don't know. It, it, it just seems to me that people that are out there doing adventure sports have to be pretty healthy. They appreciate being healthy, and they love to get out there and move. And we recently got a new sponsor, Health IQ, and they reward people who love to be healthy. This is cool stuff. So do you exercise five times a week? If so, then you probably think you deserve a different rate on your life insurance. You're not the smoker. You're not the one who's out there abusing his or her body and and having a lot of health issues that result. Instead, you're out there moving and eating right and doing right things. So shouldn't your premiums be lower? Health IQ uses science and data to secure special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, runners, strength trainers, vegans, and more. Matter of fact, research shows that those who frequently exercise with some intensity have a 22% lower cancer risk, a 56% lower heart disease risk, and up to a 34% lower risk of an early death. So why not get rewarded for that? Historically, you get penalized for your family history, body mass index, and other attributes, but you don't get rewarded for your health-conscious lifestyle. Well, Health IQ does reward you for your health conscious lifestyle with special rates on life insurance. How cool is that? To get more information and a free quote, go to healthiq.com forward slash adventure and make sure you do use that forward slash adventure that makes sure that they know where you heard about them on the Adventure Sports Podcast. So healthiq.com forward slash adventure. For the kite surfers out there that are listening, I apologize in advance. I want to go back and address all of us who haven't done it before and ask all the the beginner questions, because I know people have them, and anyone who's done this will kind of chuckle, but we have to cover this ground. Um, beginner question number one, how hard is it? How hard is it to learn to do this? Yeah, great question. Um Well, like I was saying, you know, it's it's complicated, but it's not that hard. And I mean, that's how I often put it to people. It's complicated. It does take, take some dedication, right? But you're going to, if you put in, let's say a week, right? The best thing to do is take a week, go somewhere where there's, where the water's warm and there's consistent wind. Um, and ideally it's a, you know, and it's a good place to learn, which would be a, a big, shallow area so um 
the Outer Banks of North Carolina, Cape Hatteras, that area, for example, right. is probably the best place in the United States to go learn to kite surf. Um, and go to someplace like that for a week. And by the end of the week, you'll be up and riding. And once you get that feeling, you, you know, you're, you, and the ability to do the bait, you know, the acquire the basic skills, then you can, wherever it is you live, you can go back home and you be self-sufficient and progress from there on your own. Um, so I don't know how hard is it? <laughs> you know, it's, you can be having fun in a week and, um, uh, there are lots of other things that take a lot longer than that, right? So are you telling us that it, some it's a butt kicker for the first two or three days then? <laughs> yeah, it, it has that reputation, you know, um, but also the equipment, you know, there there's some misconceptions or some perceptions that some people had from kind of the early days of, of kite boarding um, where the equipment was just not as good. The safety mechanisms um, the release mechanisms had not been evolved yet. And also the kites, literally the kite designs were just not as sophisticated. And so it used to be that learning, you really did get yanked around a lot. Um, and you got teabagged, right? You, you know, as you're learning, you'd crash the kite and then you'd get dragged through the water, you know, and that would, that just, you know, went on over and over again. But Again, the equipment has evolved, and so, especially if you have some, if you have your kind of athletic wits about you, you know, and you've, you've done other sports of various sorts, and you're comfortable in your body, you know, and you're game to learn something new, um, you know, some people you go out and be up and riding in, in a basic way, you know, in a, in a, in a couple, three hours. Um, so it's... It, I would not say I'm not going to back up the the idea that, that you're going to get bashed around for two or three days. Not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> I think it's it's improved from the the early days. Well, that's that's encouraging at least, right? <laughs> so then I yeah. have to ask the next question. Then beginner question number I guess was that three now. Um, how hard is it to learn how to fly the kite to master that? Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to say is that for most people is the, the big hurdle, I think, in terms of skills that they have to acquire. Um, if you're not a sailor, right, then you're not familiar with the feeling of how a sail – you're not familiar with how a sail works or the feeling of controlling a, a sail. And uh, even if you are a sailor, you know, a kite is, is, is a bit different, but it is, a, it is basically a sail. And so – um, so if you're a sailor or a windsurfer or you've done any, any sort of kite sport, um, um, you're going to have a big advantage. Um, if you're coming out completely green and you've never sailed and you don't have any sense for how the wind works, that's another piece of, you know, being a sailor. Um, you don't know how to read the wind or feel the wind and kind of, you haven't gained that intuitive understanding of how strong the wind is, how gusts work, you know, that all that sort of stuff that becomes second nature. Um, then your, your learning curve is going to be longer in terms of dealing with the kite. Um, even so, you know, I would say if, you know, someone who's brand new to it, if they're dedicated and they, and they, and they love it, you know, and they continue to enjoy it as they're learning that, you know, in their first year, let's say their first season of, of kite surfing, they could be 
you know, having fun and able to ride in, you know, not any conditions, but in a very wide variety of conditions. Well, speaking of the conditions, beginner question, again, it has to pop up all the time. Can this kite just catch a huge gust and take off with you? I mean, is it going to bash you into the rocks or, or take you so high in the air that you don't want to come back down? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, um, the short answer is no. Um, it, it, the, again, the equipment has evolved. And so in the early days, you know, there were stories of and examples of, of, of that happening with people. Um, and even so, it was quite rare. Um, and, and really due to user error, you know, but, um, the, the way the kites work, it's just like a sail on a sailboat. You can sheet in and out. Okay. So you have control over how much of the wind's power you are capturing you by controlling the angle of attack of the kite, just like the angle of a, a sailboat sail. And if a, big gust comes along well you just cheat out or even just let go of the bar um for a minute and modern kites are such that they they're basically completely depowered if you just let go of the bar and then all you have to do is reach out and grab the bar again um, so it kind of goes to a flight neutral position where it's not yanking on you anymore exactly exactly um and so when you see people doing big jumps i mean they're doing those jumps under their own control and when you hear a story about someone who gets yanked into the air or into the rocks or whatever. And, and, you know, it does happen, uh, but that's user error. And that's the same as, you know, someone crashing their bicycle, you know, off the side of the road or um, any, you know, any other kind of user error kind of situation with, with a sport. Well, here's a question for you. I mean, a lot of listeners, they've, they've done a boogie board or maybe they've done a surfboard or maybe they water ski, you know, Whatever it is, maybe it's a wakeboard, but they kind of get the feeling of, okay, I've got a board that planes on the water. But does the kite help you to balance on that board, or does it complicate the balance? It makes it much easier, actually. Um, it's uh, because, first of all, you're not um, balancing your entire weight on the board. Um, you, the, the kite is suspending you, some of taking some of your weight with an, you know, an a, an upwards vector, right, in, of its force, um, and you're never trying to balance on the board at a dead stop. Um, you're always, you know, you're moving. It's kind of like more like water skiing, where as you as you use the the energy of the kite to pop yourself out of the water, um, you're already starting to move, and so you're, you're not really so much ba- having to balance on the board. It just kind of happens. You're just moving forwards as, as you know, when you're riding a bike. Um, it it kind of balances itself as long as it's moving, right? Um, so it, it, it helps quite a lot. That's part of the reason I say that surfing is, is a lot harder because um, balancing on a surfboard at that moment when you're paddling and you're just starting to catch the wave and, the wave is just starting to push you a little bit, and then you have to hop up, you know, from the prone position onto your feet. At that moment, you're still moving pretty slowly, and it's it's a very unstable moment. And that's that's usually when, you know, that's when I fall off. <laughs> so uh, with kite surfing, we don't you don't really have that moment. It's it disappears in with the energy of the kite. 
I like it. So it's kind of holding you up as it accelerates, and then you've got that speed that you need. Yeah, and then you're just like, wow, magic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I have two more yeah. novice questions that I have to get answers right. for. The first one is, how fast can you go? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, people always ask that. Uh, the answer is you can go very fast if you want to. Most people don't want to go as fast as it's possible to go. Um, on you know the top, the top racers on their race-specific hydrofoil boards and race kites are doing 40 knots now, which is mm. uh, you know almost it's about that's actually 50 miles an hour, um, <laughs> which is way faster than I want to go or need to go. Um, Typically, you know, recreation or what I'm on, even on my foil, which is not a race foil, it's not designed for racing, it's designed for free riding and carving and turning and that sort of thing. I'm doing more like 20 knots, um, like literally half of that speed, and that's plenty fast. 20 knots about 25 miles an hour. Um, that's plenty fast. And on a normal board, like a surfboard, you might be doing, you know, 20 miles an hour or even 15 it just depends there's a range of course it depends on what you're doing um so there's you know there's there's quite a range you don't you don't you don't need to be doing that it just depends on what you're interested in you know right well that sounds amazing yeah. i mean i've i've water skied at all of those speeds and i know what it feels like to <laughs> hit the water at all of those speeds <laughs> and right. 40 knots i mean now you've got a kite either this going to help or make it worse. I don't know, but I can imagine going down hard at 40 knots and trying to get that kite in the neutral position and quit tumbling across the surface of the water and not getting tangled up in the lines and beat up too badly. I mean, what is that like? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that kind of speed hitting the water is, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's hard. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, the kite, what, you know, the kite can't help actually once you get, you know, to the advanced kind of expert level, because as you start to crash, sort of, you can, if you're lucky or really skilled, you know, you can use the kite to kind of, you know, grab, kind of grab the power of the kite and kind of suspend yourself in the air and, you know, and, and control the crash and maybe the board and, you know, kind of crashes out from underneath you or whatever. But that's not always the case. And, you know, people do go down hard in these, especially in these, you know, when they're racing, um, you know, but in general, you're, let's say, cruising along at, I mean, yeah, even 25 miles an hour, that's, you know, you're going to have some impact. You got to be, be careful. Um, depending on what you're doing, you, you know, you, you know, you where you might wear an impact vest or a helmet, certainly racing, they wear helmets. Well, I'm going to I'm going to claim that this is my last novice question, but I'm sure I'm going to ask more without even knowing it. But here's my last novice question that I know about, and that is going against the wind. If you go out mm -hmm. somewhere and you need to get home again, what do you do? Yeah, um just like sailing, um the the physics of sailing uh are what permit you to sail upwind. Um it's you know, for someone who's not a sailor and hasn't experienced that, it's it's hard to understand. Um, but it's the same basic 
principle, uh, physical principle of the lift, um, that an airplane wing is generating lift, a sailboat sail or a kite is generating lift. It's actually not just pulling you along, right? It's, or it's not just getting pushed downwind, pushed along by the wind. It's actually, again, it, it's working like a wing and it's pulling itself. That lift is pulling the wing or the sail or the kite forwards. And again, the physics allow that to actually pull you upwind into the wind to a certain extent. And you're, your upwind angle, your maximum upwind angle depends on the type of kite or sail, you know, that you might be using. Um, and also the type of board because the board can also, also generates lift in the water. And so, um, and that's what tacking is all about, right? If you've ever heard, you know, a sailboat has to tack to go upwind. It goes, goes one way at an angle and then it tacks, across the head of the wind, through the, through the wind, and goes the other way at an angle and gradually makes progress up into the wind, right? Sure. Um, and um, the same, same with, uh, with a kiteboard or a kite surfing situation. Again, just depending on the type of kite and the type of board, um, we can always go upwind to some extent. And now with the hydrofoils, it's another advantage that hydrofoils have is that they're incredibly efficient and they generate tons and tons of lift. And so we can go upwind like never before, um, which again opens up new possibilities for us in terms of, in terms of riding. So what you're saying is it's a whole lot different than the bed sheet that I tied to the broomstick on the inner tube. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly <laughs> right. That, that you're just going to get, you know, and you ended up on that island and you, you were stuck there for a week and, right. you know, you <laughs> luckily you had like a jar of peanut butter and a loaf of bread and your parents, you know, they were really glad to see you when you made it back. Um, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's cool. I get the idea of the wing yeah. though. It's not, it's not that the kite is dragging you then, it's that it actually is creating a lateral force that you can angle and use to pull you into the wind a little bit and that kind of thing. I, it makes sense, just like sailing. Matter of fact, I have to bring up the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180 Tack. Where did that come from? <laughs> hey, there you go. You know, we we, uh, we chose that name because we love the idea of changing directions and flying with the wind. But anyway. Uh -huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that name, actually, because, of course, it is a sailing reference. And I... Yep. If you're enjoying the Adventure Sports Podcast with episodes twice a week and want to help support the show and keep it going, go check out our ASP member deal site. For as little as $4.95 a month, you can enjoy some adventure discounts while supporting our cause. Go to members.adventuresportspodcast.com and sign up for a monthly plan at $4.95 a month or save a little with the annual plan and get your free 180 stove. Thanks for listening, guys. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bentgate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. 
They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. to talk about some of the things that you have done with this amazing sport. You've done such a perfect job of describing it to us. I feel like I've had my first lesson now. All I need is the equipment and a good breeze and a little bit of water, right? But um, you have done some amazing trips where you are covering vast distances kite surfing. So instead of like, okay, I went out on the lake and I moved around or I went out and I came back again, you are, you're traveling with this. I mean, you're treating this like it's a... Uh, maybe a bicycle that you could cover a continent with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, there, <clears throat> there are, well, I was going to, there are certain places in the world. Um, and it, it, you know, it depends on the wind conditions and the geography. Um, and also to some extent the climate, uh, and other factors. Uh, but there are some places in the world where you, where it is possible to do long distance journeys, um, by kite, uh, much in the way that you would travel down the coast somewhere with a, by sailboat. Um, that's that's kind of what we're what, what we're doing in some again some parts of the world. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, it's also similar to what you might do yeah on a bicycle or long distance um, backpacking um, or even similar to what um, some paragliders do in, uh, in what they call volbiv, uh, which is um, like, like fly and camp and fly and camp, um, or volvisa, which is fly and then use your visa card to stay at a little hotel and then fly and then <laughs> like use that. your visa card to stay in a little hotel. So, so we do both of those. Um, um, and the place where I've done it most is on the coast of Brazil, the northern coast of Brazil, which – is for because of a number of reasons is the perfect place to do long distance kite surfing mm. um it's warm right both the, it's close to the equator the, the water's warm the air's warm and if you look at a map and look at the northern coast of brazil it it slopes kind of from the north from the west northwest to the east southeast and it's right in the path of the atlantic trade winds which come uh from the east to the west across the atlantic there and so all along that coast you have you have steady winds so you got warm water warm air steady winds sandy beaches good food friendly people um and Brazil's a big country, so there's 
more than a thousand miles. I mean, there's a very long distance of coastline there that you can travel down uh, with relatively, you know, rel- with a relative. Uh, a relatively reasonable degree of possibility. I mean, it's, there's still a lot of challenges involved, uh, yeah. but um, at least it's possible. Uh, well, the I more think possible that, that it is. Yeah. All of our adventure travelers just woke up. They're like, what? 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 Say that yeah. again. What? So how do you carry gear if you wanted to camp? Can you do that? Yeah, you can. And, and I have done uh, one trip like that so far. Uh, where we carried, you know, we carried everything that we needed. And again, because of the climate, you don't need to carry very much. Um, you, you really, in the water, the water's warm enough, you can just wear board shorts. Um, and when you get out of the water, you know, you really just need like a dry t-shirt and maybe a fleece or something like that uh, for the evening. And you can sleep in a hammock. Uh, which weigh, you know is very small, weighs very little. You get what's called a garimpero, which is like a travel hammock made out of you know nylon material, um, or you use your use some cash or a piece of card and you know stay in a little um, a little local inn of some sort. Um, which because there are towns all on the coast, um, and so you you can you can kind of do it either way. But yeah, it is possible to carry everything you need, um, and um, we use waterproof backpacks uh, to carry um, to carry what what little equipment we we need with us. Most of it's like cameras and batteries because <laughs> you know these days, <laughs> That's if you, awesome. you know, if you don't capture it on film, you know, you're, or on you know on, on an SD card, it, it hasn't happened right. So right. Uh, well, yeah. I, I just envision you guys coming in. I mean, someone's on the beach, right? Doing what you do on the beach. And then they see you way the heck out there somewhere. And then you're getting slightly bigger. And they, what is that guy doing? And then you stop at the beach and you come in, you walk up and, and you're like looking for that little bite of lunch or something. I, Dude, where did you come from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, I do. And it's, yeah, it's really amazing to arrive somewhere that way and to be able to say to yourself or whoever asks you, well, you know, we... Yeah, we came from up the coast. You know, well, well where'd you come from? You know, and they usually say the next town or the other end of the beach or something. And we say, well, no, you know, we came from uh, this place that's like a hundred kilometers, you know, up the beach, for example. Um, and that's a pretty normal day um, for us, long distance kiting. Um, Fifty to seventy k is, you know, is, is pretty, it's pretty easy. I'd be kind of, it's a short day. A hundred k is a moderately long day and, and, you know, you can do longer than that, 120, 150. There are other guys, you know, there are always some people that are trying to push the, you know, the extreme of whatever angle that, you know, they, they, they're into. And so there are people who try to set, you know, distance records, right. Of how long they can go in a particular day. That that's not my particular interest. You know, my interest is the, is the long distance experience and the, the journey, the experience of going from place to place, and and what you just alluded to is just that you, know, you wake up in the morning, you might be, you know, camped on a beach somewhere or staying in a little local village, and you you set up your kite and you just and you get in the water, and that's it. You just leave. You don't you know you don't you don't need anything else. You don't have anything else, and you 
and, you know, at some point later in the day, you decide to, where you want to stop and, and you pull up to, into the beach and put your feet on the sand and, and there you are. Um, and so <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So we, we do travel, you know, a long way, but we're not necessarily trying to travel, you know, we're not trying to necessarily set records, you know, per day or, or that sort of thing. Well, let's do a little uh, math we, here. Uh, 100K yeah. would be, what, 64 miles. And if you're going 20 knots on average, that's 23 miles per hour. So we're talking about less than three hours, around three hours, and you could be where, you're, where you wanted to be. And that's a big day. That's 100K. Yeah, the math is a, works out a little bit differently because um, even going downwind, we're, we are tacking to some extent. So we're not going in a dead straight line, first of all. Gotcha. Um, or we're tacking back and forth. And then, of course, there's some variation in your speed. You often, you know, we, we are stopping here and there along the way. Um, and there's, of course, variations in the, you know, which way the coastline is going. You have to go out around a point or, you know, in through a bay or, or something like that. Um, and so... What we normally use as a as a guideline is somewhere between twenty and twenty five kilometers per hour over ground, um, and so that's not speed over the water. You know, that's like speed down on the map down the right. coast. Uh, so, you know, if I'm looking at the map, you know, and it's 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 fifty or let's say it's eighty k to the village that I want to get to. That's about 50 miles, you know, I'm going to probably figure that's going to take me four, you know, more or less four hours, maybe, maybe less than four hours. Um, so a hundred K day, you're probably going to be in the water sailing or kiting for, you know, five hours at least. So you, you end up, you know, you're in the water, you know, quite a long time because you, you know, you have to, uh, uh, stop and eat at some point or points and, you know, again, um, we're not necessarily trying to uh, set distance records, and so you know, we want I want to I want to enjoy myself. Actually, I want to have time to enjoy where I you know where I've gotten up in the morning and where I'm getting in the in the afternoon. Um, well, I think that might be what makes it so great. You know, but I have to say this: we've talked to a lot of through hikers. And a lot of different mm -hmm. backpackers. I'm the backpacker mm -hmm. who likes to see and experience where I am. So I, I don't go for huge distance, although I do go very long days. Um, but then there are the people that are trying to cover a certain distance in, uh, you know, a, a certain number of weeks or something. And for them, it's all about the miles, you know. And mm -hmm. both ways of backpacking are legit, totally legit. It's what you enjoy doing. Yeah. And what you're describing, that would be the way I'd want to do it. It'd be like, oh, look at that canteen over there. I'm going to stop here, grab some lunch, sit in the shade for a while. You know what I mean? I think that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a real – you get aspects of both, you know, and, and, and you you do parallel with through hiking and you, you can say the same about, you know, long-distance cycling or, or running or, or or any sport where you're traveling – um, you know, you can, you can put your head down and try to make as many miles as you can, either because you want to, or you need to, but you know, your head, with your head down kind of literally, you know, you're not going to see and experience as much of the place. Um, you might have more of an endurance experience, more of a physical 
trial kind of. Um, and that's, you know, some people that's more what they want. Right. Um, for me, it's, it's a balance of the two and the physicality of it is, is a big part of what I enjoy, but I want to have my head up so I can be looking around, enjoying the incredible geography that I'm passing through. And yeah, if I see a cool looking village or a beautiful beach or, you know, somewhere I want to stop that I can stop and exactly hang out there or meet some people or have something to eat or, um, or circle back. If there's a good, you know, I come around a point and there's a wave there to ride. I want to hang out there for, you know, 10, 20 minutes and ride the wave before continuing on. Oh, that's fun. That's really fun. So how long of distances do you go on these trips? Um, not per day. I mean, for like the whole trip. Yeah, yeah, total. Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple of 400K trips. I've done, a, again, a couple of 600. Uh, so, if, you know, four, five, 600K, that's what it's um, been for me in Brazil. Um, but you can really do, you know, you put it, you put it together however you, you, you want to. You know, someone might only want to ride um, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles in a day. Right. And, um, you know, and if you have the time, that's the other, you know, the time is certainly a factor for all of us one way or another. Um, you know, most people don't have a month to, to just go take off and, and kind of work their way slowly down the coast somewhere. If you do, yeah, well, I mean, do that. <laughs> um, but, um, um, in you know in a week right you could um you, you could do shorter shorter hops and and do you know a couple you know two or three hundred k or if you're pushing it and doing 100 you know 100 k days then you could do you know five six hundred something like that that's cool i never dreamed that kite surfing could be a mode of travel i always thought of it as something you did out in the waves you know i'm i'm out from the beach, I'm coming back to the beach. I, I always thought of it that way. So to do it the way you're doing it, that just opens up a whole new world. It's like, dang, this is, this is really cool stuff. Exciting to me. So I've got to ask another novice question. Here we go. How far out do you go? I mean, you could go way the heck out there, I guess. Yes, and you can. In general, you just as with sailing, I would say, you know, you don't go offshore any great distance unless you have a reason to because the the risks increase right um and so if like on the coast of brazil there or uh, in the philippines i I was in the philippines uh shooting a another um tv series a kite surfing tv series earlier this year um you know we're unless we're trying unless we're crossing from somewhere to somewhere else then we're, you know, we're staying within sight and ideally within, you know, a distance that you might at least theoretically be able to swim right from shore. So, you know, a mile, you know, a mile's kind of far enough. Um, sure. Then again, because once you get this, this in your mind that, you know, you can use the kite as a form of transportation and use it to get from place to place. You know, you look at the map or you look out at the horizon and you see an island over there and you think, oh, I'm going to go to that island, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, or across to that other piece of land or whatever it is. And so um, we do end up doing that quite a bit, too. And there are lots of places in the world that have super cool crossings to do. 
Um, and you know, where even if it's, you know, it might be just a few miles, there's, there's a, a place down in Baja, California that's very popular for kiting. Um, it's a little town, the town of La Ventana and there's an Island off of La Ventana that just makes a super fun afternoon. You stick a couple of beers in your wetsuit and you kite over to the Island and stop and have a beer and kite back. And, um, it's irresistible. <laughs> you know, the, the, when when you see something like that, and, and and then there are much bigger crossings that um, you know that that people are doing. So fifty miles, hundred miles. Um, I mean, uh, Michu Montero, who's a pro kiter from um, the, the islands of uh, Cabo Verde, he just did a, um, a a journey where he connected. He kited from. There's, I think, nine or something principal islands in the Cabo Verde group. And he, last year, kited, connected all the islands together and chained them by, by kite. Um, and some of those, you know, were, I think, 100-mile crossings, something mm. like that. Wow. Substantial stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? You mentioned films. We've got to talk about the film stuff you do because I know that our listeners are going to want to see this, right? It's, it's great to hear about it, but, man, I'd love to be able to see that. And I also want to talk to you about this this idea of intuition that you're coming up with that, that grew out of this kite surfing. But first, let's go back to the films. Um, you did Surfing Simfim in Brazil. Tell people what that was. Yeah, totally. Thanks for asking. Um, and and yeah, it's you know it's it's one of those things that uh, it, it's um, it's one thing to try and describe what you're doing is nothing to be able to show people. So I'm really excited that we uh, have something to show. Um, so last summer uh, I was part of a project with myself and five other athletes. So a team of six kite surfers um, and a small film crew. And we shot uh, one of these long distance uh, trips in Brazil, on the coast of Brazil, about 600 kilometers over the course of about a week and a half. We got the backing of uh, Canal Off, which is uh, an outdoor sports-oriented uh, media company and uh, television channel in Brazil, um, and uh, Surfing Sem which is uh, a company that organizes long-distance kite surfing trips there on the northern coast of Brazil. And we shot um, what turned into a 55-minute uh, adventure travel documentary um, that shows that ex- what that experience is like, um, and that's uh, that's available on Vimeo. We can share the uh, the URL through the uh, the show notes there on the on the show, um, and it's it's just. Yeah, so cool for me to be part of that project. First of all, also very interesting because I'm I was only American uh, on a, a crew of all Brazilians, um, and so the the production it is all it is mostly in Portuguese, um, and then you know my my part my dialogue is in English, and then there's there's subtitles English subtitles for the uh, the rest of the um, the athletes. Um, but yeah, it was just a fantastic project to be part of. I, I learned a lot. And um, had a fantastic time, and it, it turned out really, really well. So I, I think it's a great. It really does show the uh, the long distance experience that that I'm talking about. Oh, that's awesome! So let me explain how to spell this and that kind of thing, and we'll put this in the show notes, like you mentioned. 
So if, if anyone's listening to this and you, you can't write this down, just go to the adventuresportspodcast.com. It'll be in the show notes. But um, surf and sim theme, you have to think Portuguese here. Sim is S-E-M and theme is F-I-M. So surfing like you would expect, sim theme. And I imagine if you go to Vimeo and just search that, you're going to find it. But the, the Vimeo number and I know that no one's going to remember this, is 220-552-3327. So if you went to Vimeo.com and put that number in, just go to the Adventure Sports Podcast and click the link. You'll save a lot of time. So that would be how to see that. And that's awesome. You said 55 minutes. I know how I want to spend my Friday night. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. I, 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 uh, I hope you enjoy it. I, I think you will. It uh, was shot by a young Adventure Sports director, um, Bruna Toledo, friend of mine, she's based out of Sao Paulo and uh, she did a fantastic job. And it, it's really quite a challenge. It's one of the things that I learned a lot about, you know, being part of this production. It's, it's really quite a challenge to, to shoot, first of all, even while you're traveling, let alone shoot while you're traveling mostly on the water. Um, and, um, it's, it's logistically quite complicated. Um, and, 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 and also to shoot, you know, to show what we're doing, which is traveling down the coast at, you know, 50, 70, 100 kilometers per day to do that while you're shooting. Well, shooting takes a lot more time than just our normal process of, of riding and traveling. So it's it's um, yeah, it, it was it was quite a uh, quite an interest, you know, quite a production. And I think it turned out really well. And we're all proud of the result. And, um, and then since then, I've been part of a couple, a couple other projects. Uh, earlier this year, I was in the Philippines, as I mentioned, shooting um, a similar sort of thing, an adventure travel, kite surfing, primarily kite surfing, uh, documentary TV series, uh, also backed by Canal Off, also a Brazilian production. It's funny how, I don't know, there's like, there's a lot of support for this kind of thing in Brazil, maybe not as much in the States. Um, I'm not sure if there's an equivalent sort of channel here. Um, um, and that, that series is not yet, you know, it's still in production, right? It's uh, in edit and that sort of thing. And we won't see it for probably another few months. Um, and then I'll be back in Brazil this September in just a couple months um, to shoot the continuation of this film that we just released. So um, again, if you look at a map, um, the, the most famous place for kite surfing and windsurfing in northern Brazil is called Jericoquara. Um, and it's, it, it's famous for a reason. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. And um, although now it's quite a bit more developed than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago, it's, it's just still a very beautiful place. And it's, it's kind of the center of this long stretch of coastline that I described earlier um, and so this, this film that we just finished and we just talked about, we, we began to the east of, of Jerry as we call, as it's known by, you know, in short, and we passed Jerry and then we continued to the west and we stopped at this other little village called Atins. And, um, the idea was that if this film was successful and, and if we could secure the backing from Canal Off and some others that we would um, produce or continue down the coast 
and into the Amazon. That's what we proposed, and we we showed them the results. You know, this film looks amazing, and they're very happy with it. And so we got the green light to turn it into a whole series. So in September, we're going to travel. We're going to meet up in Achines and continue west <clears throat> past the city of Sao Luis. And once you get past Sao Luis, you basically enter the Amazon coast. The coast changes completely. It's not Sandy Beach anymore. It's, it's islands and mangroves and who knows what else. And we're going to continue down the coast to the mouth of the Amazon and then travel up the Amazon River wow. by kite. How far do you think you're going to yeah. go up the river? Well, the plan is to go as far as the city of Santarém. Which um, and there's a there's a town near there called Altento Shao that I don't know some people might know about, but um, it's uh, I don't know it, it, it's probably not quite half of the way up the Amazon. It's probably more like a third uh, of the way up the Amazon. Uh, but the Amazon is a very very long river, so we're still talking about like many hundreds of miles. That is amazing. That is amazing. What a cool epic thing. So there's got to be a way to get the, the English version of this. I mean, I, people can watch it on Vimeo, but that's something that everyone's going to want to see. How do they watch for it? How can they get more information? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that they, well, they can certainly uh, follow my social media, my Instagram, for example. So Instagram.com slash Bowen Dwelly. Uh, and also uh, the Serpents and Themes site. So surfing and it's not surfing with a g it's a surfing surfing simping as you spelled out earlier uh dot com surfing simping dot com one way or another between those two you would you'd definitely be able to uh keep track of these projects cool and dwelly is spelled d-w-e-l-l-e so bowen dwelly yeah b-o-w-e-n d-w-e-l-l-e exactly that's how you'll and i was blessed with a very unique name. Thank you to my parents. There <laughs> yeah, cool. is, I mean, you know, it can, it can work against you in some scenarios, I suppose, but, um, I am the only Bowen Dwelly on the, like on earth, I believe, or certainly <laughs> on the internet. So if you, if you search Bowen Dwelly, you will find me. I did find a Bob. <laughs> I found a Bob Dwelly, but I, I think yeah, you might be right. Not, you might be the only Bowen Dwelly out there. Well, you know, to wrap up the show, I want to talk about this concept briefly that you had about the idea of intuition in athletics. So what are you getting at there? Yeah, well, um, for me, one of the things that I have learned in, 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 by, through my own process of becoming uh, a part-time professional athlete uh, at the age of, you know, now I'm 47, so... I'm not a lifelong hardcore athlete, uh, but at, as I got more and more into kite surfing, I started getting invited to participate in projects like these films we just talked about, et cetera, and, and really to pursue it you know, with a more athletic and kind of dedicated mindset. And one of the things that I discovered was that as I did that more and more, and not just kite surfing, I do a lot of other athletic things as well. I'm a trail runner, I'm a paraglider pilot, an open water swimmer, um, you know, kind of whatever I get my hands on in a way. The, the more time that I spent do, being athletic 
and in particular being athletic outdoors, I found that my intuition got better. What do I mean? Intuition. I mean my ability to essentially to decide without deciding, right? To know what to do in any given moment without having to deliberate over what to do. And that, you know, that what to do could be, uh, you know, it could be what to eat for breakfast, right? Or it could be, you know, uh, should I, uh, I mean, this doesn't apply to me, but, you know, should I, should I marry this person, you know, <laughs> or something like that? I mean, intuition is the most powerful, one of the most powerful uh, mechanisms that we have for, for interacting with the world. And I think many of us struggle with trying to make decisions um decision making is hard and it's and it's not super fun really either uh in, in it whereas arriving at you know what feels and what you know to be the the right course of action by intuition or gut feel or whatever you might call it uh i mean it feels it's it's more fun it's easier it's more fun it feels good and it's a great compliment, of course, to intellectual decision making. So mm-hmm. to, to have, you know, strong intuition is a very powerful thing. And, and, I, and I, I, for one, didn't really know how to strengthen my intuition until I kind of saw that happening through, through athletics. And so what I... And what I saw happening as I as I observed that happening and paid paid attention to it as, as it was happening, you know, what I realized is that there's a very very direct connection between athletics and intuition, and that is that simply by being active again active outside because I think it's important it's much more powerful to be active and athletic outside in the natural world as opposed to you know, in the gym, let's say, um, and practicing some, some sport or some, some sort of thing that requires our mental, but all our physical attention as we get better, right. Or even just as we practice, as we do whatever that happens to be, whether it's, I mean, the simplest example for me is trail running. Okay. It's just running, but trail running, uh, um, you know, you're going along the body as you do it, you know, your, your body gets better at doing it. It's not your mind. It's not like you're thinking about like, well, how do I run? Where do I put my feet? You know, (laughs) your body does it automatically and your body gets better at it without having to think about it. It gets better at it by practicing it just by doing it. Right. And what happens then is that your mind, I believe, and I, saw this and see it happening in myself that the mind sees the body sees that happening to your body the mind observes that and says wow geez huh like the the body here is just is getting better is the body is making the right decisions without having to think about it maybe i can do that too wow that's a really cool concept see what i'm saying i do You know, I, in a former life, I was a math teacher and I've seen intuitive mm-hmm. mathematicians. They get mm-hmm. the answer without the process of going through the steps. 
Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's kind of what you're talking about. It, it's it's not in that front part of the brain where you reason through everything step by step. Instead, you get to the, the back part of the brain that connects the dots so fast we can't see how it got to the end from the beginning, but there you are. Exactly right. And, and there's tons of research that, that, that shows that in many cases the decisions that we think that we make have actually been made in that back part of the brain before the front part of the brain, you know, gets gets a hold of the information. Then the front part gets a hold of it and says, hey, I made this cool decision. And actually, you know, the brain chemistry already made the decision. Is the, the, the front part, the conscious part of the brain then observes it and kind of takes ownership of that. Um, and, and not in every case, but certainly in, in, in you know, perhaps half the cases or, or just as much. And so... For me, noticing or seeing that, that pathway that the mind can see this happening with the body, see the body just getting better at doing stuff, and then the mind says, huh, yeah, well, the body can run along the trail or you know, kite surf down the coast for hours at a time and do the right thing without really having to think about it. Right, your your mind is often free to think about other things while you're out there doing these. And many people say that they get their best thinking done while they're running or sure. or cycling, doing whatever else. And so then, again, the 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 mind learns how intuition works, and that intuition does work by observing the intuitive movement of the body. That that physical competence leads to intuitive mental confidence. I, I think there's it. a direct direct connection there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's the first time that I've had a guest talk about that angle on it. A lot of people have talked about getting in the zone, right? Mm-hmm. Getting really focused, and and others have talked about the what you just described, being able to really think when they're on a long run or a long hike and, and how that really changed them. But to make that connection to intuition and intuitive thought and developing that skill set, that's what you're doing. You're developing a skill set that all people mm-hmm. have, but they may not even realize it. But you found a way to develop it. And I can I can see all the benefits. There's a book there, Bowen. Are you gonna write it for us so we can read it? Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've that has occurred to me uh, certainly, and um, I'm, I I am working on the outline for uh, the the working title of the the Decide Nothing Toolkit. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> Decide Nothing Toolkit. Okay, well, keep us informed because we want to have you back on to talk specifically about that when you get farther down the road on that project. That's awesome. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, that the idea resonates with you and that's, uh, that's, that's really encouraging. Thanks. Well, the reason it resonates so much is because we know the, the amazing benefits of adventure sports and it doesn't, like you illustrated, it doesn't really matter what the sport is. If you get out there and you're active and you're connecting with nature and you're enjoying yourself, then the benefits are, are vast. But to talk about this particular benefit, it's something we haven't done a lot on the show, and that's why I connect to it so much. How cool is that? I, uh, awesome. I really like that. I really like that. Well, man, we have run completely out of time, but it was worth the extra moments to hear about that. I really enjoy it. Bowen, thank you for coming on the Adventure Sports Podcast and sharing this world with us. Man, kite surfing 
and adventure sports in general and and how you can use kite surfing to travel i mean everything about this is so cool so thanks man for sharing with us yeah my pleasure thanks for having me kurt it's been a real pleasure to to talk with you and uh, share a bit about kite surfing and i encourage you and everyone else out there to uh to give it a shot yeah, it is on my list, and that's the that's the biggest problem with hosting this show is my list is way, <laughs> way too long, but it is certainly on my list. I appreciate that. Well, Bowen, thank you very much again, and for all of our listeners out there, man, kite surfing, how cool is this? Remember, until the next show, to get out there and have some fun. Don't miss Monday's episode with Carl Saba. He is the current Pacific Crest Trail speed record holder, and it's going to be good. Until then, guys, get out and have some fun.